they injected it straight into the joint. So it was like this really long needle. And as soon as it went in and I started getting really, really dizzy and walk into the bathroom and I noticed that there's red hives all up and down my chest and up to my neck and onto my face. I'm like, hey, like I'm having this happen, you know, is that normal? And she looked really, really nervous. She's like, come, come back in here. and. They put me down, everyone's kind of rushing around and I start feeling all of my muscles start to shake. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the US, killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. Have you had an MRI? Was it an MRI with contrast? That's when the MRI technician injects you with a chemical called gadolinium so they can read the MRI easier. They probably told you to drink a lot of water to flush it out of your system and that it would be gone from your body in 24 hours. What they probably didn't tell you is that some people's bodies don't flush out the gadolinium and it makes them chronically sick and disabled. And they probably didn't tell you that the Food and Drug Administration requires that an MRI with gadolinium comes with a black box warning. Or that Europe and Japan have banned the use of gadolinium. And they probably didn't tell you that even if you do report side effects, you'll be gaslighted by doctors who will tell you it's impossible to have gadolinium toxicity and that you're imagining your symptoms. In this episode of Medical Error Interviews, I chat with Casey Steidel, a creative and athletic woman living in California. Casey tells us about her body's immediate reaction to the gadolinium injection, the response of the healthcare workers and her doctor, and then the tragedy of her doctor sending Casey for another MRI with contrast and how that severely damaged her body. Casey also shares how she had to take control of her own health destiny when the medical system turned its back on her and about the treatments she pursued that have helped her regain a lot, but not all, of her health and quality of life. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron 
premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for your own encounters with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. And now, here's my interview with Casey Steidel. And a word of warning, as always, that some folks may be triggered by Casey's experiences with the healthcare system. Awesome, thank you. So, uh, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? So, I grew up outside Philadelphia, kind of a nice little pocket about an hour outside the city with my parents and my older brother. And I mean, I was a really, really active kid growing up playing so many sports, soccer being the main one. And um, yeah, I was just really, really active and adventurous and had a lot of friends and eventually made my way out to the West Coast. And LA has been home for the last five years. Uh, Okay, what do you do out there? I work in photography, graphic design, um, kind of a freelance creative, if you will. Okay. And so soccer was your main sport? Yeah, that was pretty much my year-round life and dedication and passion was soccer through pretty much since I was three and the first time I touched a ball up until, you know, into my 20s. So um, that was a big, big part of my life. And how far along did you pursue that in terms of um, sort of your commitment to taking your ability to another level? I played into college, but I played for their club team. I, after college, I really just kind of played for fun. Yeah. And then I kind of experienced some injuries, which kind of led me to where I'm at now and the MRI and the whole incident. So. Okay. So um, yeah, segue us into that part of your life story. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty jarring, um, but I did kind of have almost like a pre-incident to the main incident where I, uh, you know, I was having a lot, a lot of hip pain um, from, you know, chronic blows that I would get to my hip and having just a lot of issues with mobility and movement and um, it was starting to really affect my life. And so I went in for my first MRI in, I think it was 2017, end of 2017. And they injected a dye into my hip that was supposed to help light up the image to help them read it more clearly. And so I was having both of my hips looked at. So I had two injections and that day I got really, really dizzy and it was weird. I felt like I had sandbags on my legs where I couldn't walk properly. And I, I even paused, you know, the, the MRI halfway through because I was starting to feel really sick and like really nauseous and dizzy. And they kind of pulled me out and were like, you know, it's okay. Just like take, take a breath, you know, you're all right. And kind of pushed me through it. They're like, we don't want you to drive home. And so I, they just kind of put me in a chair in the hallway and were like, 
we don't want you to drive home, leave your car here and, you know, find a ride home and come get your car tomorrow. And so I was kind of confused being like, well, is this normal? You know, and they're like, yeah, you'll be fine. Like drink plenty of water and this will be out of your system in 24 hours. And I was like, okay. So I felt a bit weird through the rest of the day and then into the next day, but things kind of went back to normal, I would say after that. I ended up having to get hip surgery on both of my hips that year. Um, so I had her or had hip surgery on one of my hips, recovered a bit from that, and then had it on the next one. So it was a long year of recovery for that due to like labrum tearing and some bone removal that was kind of affecting my joint to be able to move properly. I didn't recover well from the surgery and was having so much pain at all. You know, uh, I did physical therapy for like almost seven or eight months, like almost to a year. And I was having trouble walking a block without having any pain. And so I kept going back to my doctor and he just kept kind of shooing me away being like, keep doing physical therapy, keep doing physical therapy, try a steroid shot. And I was like, I just feel like, you know, this isn't, what I need. It's not going to help me heal. I'm just like not getting any answers. So I decided to go to a second doctor for a second opinion. And so she's like, we're going to get all new imaging, get, figure out, you know, what's going on with, with your joint. And so I mentioned to her, I was like, listen, like for the MRI part, I had kind of a weird experience last time or last year with the dye where I felt really, really sick, actually really nauseous, really dizzy. And I, I, they made me get a ride home because I couldn't walk well. Like I felt like I couldn't lift my legs and it was really, really hard to walk. I felt like I had sandbags on my legs and she was like, that's weird. Like, I think you're, you'll be fine. Um, no real explanation. And so she sends me into the MRI and I end up talking to the nurse and the radiologist right before I go in and I'm dressed in the gown and everything ready to go and get my imaging done. And she, the radiologist was like, I, I was like, I just wanted to let you know last year, you know, with this dye, I had this issue. And she kind of looked at me being like, are you allergic to it? And I was like, I, I have no idea, you know, like, is that sound like an, an allergic reaction or what you tell me? I, I have no idea. I'm just telling you what happened. And she looked really concerned and she was like, you know what? I, she whispered something to her, to one of her assistants being like, it sounds like she had this happen. And it was a medical term I had never heard before something. I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it sounded like some sort of side effect that was dangerous or something. And she's like, you know what? I can't put this in you today. Like you need to go back to your doctor and work something out because I'm, I'm not going to, put this in you if you've had any sort of reaction to it. And I was like, okay. So, you know, get out of my gown, drive home. And I go back to my doctor and she is still unbothered by the radiologist pushback and my worry. And is like, yeah, I mean, you know, we're gonna, why don't we just do one and we'll see how you react. And I mean, we could do an allergy test maybe, but I just, she's, she made me feel like that was a dumb idea basically and completely unnecessary and assured me that it was safe and you know, there's, there's no worries there. So 
I went back, I saw the same radiologist and was like, Hey, I just wanted to remind you, you know, last time we, I told you about what happened and you didn't want to inject me with this. So I just wanted to remind you. And she was like, right. Yeah. I remember you. And yeah, like your doctor thinks it's okay. And I was like, yeah, she says we should just do one. And she didn't seem worried about it, but you know, I have no idea. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. This dye to me sounded like a, like a, a food dye. It sounded really harmless for the most part. And you don't think of it containing anything horrible that could hurt you. It just sounds like something that flushes out of your body and just, just doesn't seem like anything that would hurt you. And she's like, okay, you know, seemed a little reluctant, but she went on with it even so adamantly pushing back on it the first time saying like, absolutely not. And so, you know, we go in, she, they take this really long needle for me. Some people get this injected into their veins, but for me, they injected it straight into the joint. So it was like this really long needle they put in. And as soon as it went in, I've never felt anything like it. It was like something in my body just, it was like something just switched. And I started getting really, really dizzy and my body started getting really, really nervous. Like, like something's, something's wrong. Like something has just happened. And you like, it's almost like your danger alert is, is firing signals. And I get up, I'm like pretty dizzy. And then I walk into the bathroom and I notice that there's, I have red hives all up and down my chest and up to my neck and onto my face. And I was like, I've never gotten hives in my life, not once. And so I walk back in and like, Hey, like I'm having this happen, you know, is that normal? And she looked really, really nervous. She's like, come, come back in here. And they put me down. Everyone's kind of rushing around and I start feeling all of my muscles start to shake and I start getting really disoriented and very, very dizzy, really nauseous and just like started getting really scared because I got this like overwhelming rush, like, oh my God, like my body's, something's like happening. And I felt like I'd almost been like electrocuted almost like something became like fried. And so they're giving me Benadryl and they're like, we got to rush her. Like she's going to miss her time slot. Like kind of just being a bit almost careless, I would say. And they put me in a wheelchair, wheel me and kind of like, they wheel me up to the machine to get into, which no one's had an MRI before. It's basically like a large coffin. It feels like it's very tight space and very big, loud machine. And as I'm getting in, my jaw starts chattering and I'm like shivering and very disoriented and I can't control the chattering of my teeth. And I'm like, I'm, I feel really sick. I'm like, why, why can't I control? Like I'm talking through my jaw chattering and my teeth like banging against each other. And the nurse is kind of rushing. She's like, it's fine. It's probably just from the Benadryl. Like you'll be all right. They put me in and go in for like about a 40 minute MRI feeling this way and I just was trying to like hold on tight because I was like I feel so sick like I feel something like things really really wrong and so I leave that night and I get home and I try to take a shower and I feel like I'm gonna faint I I called my mom and I was like I, I can't see properly I'm starting to see flashing lights I 
feel so dizzy and weird. And I'm looking around feeling like I'm in a twilight zone, like, like can't properly almost like, I felt like I was not in real life. It was a very weird feeling. And then from then on is when all the problems just completely, um, completely started and things started getting a lot worse and a lot more symptoms started popping up. Um, and that week I ended up in the hospital maybe four or five times because I was going in and out of these episodes of like almost not, I couldn't function. I'd be in a ball shaking, seeing flashing lights, movement felt blur. Everything was blurry when things would move. And I started feeling like my feet and hands and arms were all like burning and tingling and buzzing. And I, I felt like I'd literally been electrocuted or something. Like I'd never, never felt like this before in my life. And every time I went to the hospital, I was like, Hey, this happened within 30 seconds of me getting this, this MRI die. Like what's in it? Is, is there a possibility that that could have created something in my body or what's, what's happening? And every time I was in the hospital, they were like, absolutely not. There's no way that it's the die that leaves your body within 24 hours. Like, don't even, don't even think that that's what it is. You probably, there's a lot of weird stuff going on right now. You probably caught something like you probably caught like, you know, like a, a bug. And I was like, what? Like, this is, I was like, how would I catch a bug within the 30 seconds of me getting this MRI die? And then getting these crazy symptoms that I've never felt before in my life. Like my body has never felt this way. It was also creating this, I know some other patients that I've spoken with um, who have gone through this as well, experienced um, an overwhelming rush of like panic, which it's like your body's in fight or flight mode because something's in your, has just gone into your body that is a foreign poison almost that it's never felt before so it's like your it's like you want to jump out of your skin sort of feeling uncomfort of like oh my god what's happening I'm I'm something's really really wrong type feeling and so every time I'd go into the hospital and try to explain they would just give me fluids and just kind of like send me on my way and be like you're fine there's like absolutely nothing wrong with you and so it just kept getting worse and worse. And I was dropping in the first week and a half, I dropped like 15 pounds with no, like doing absolutely nothing. And um, I mean, I was having a lot of nausea. It was hard, it was hard to eat, but it was like instant, like instant. I dropped my body, just dropped all this weight. And my dad had flown out um, when this happened and was going to the hospital with me. And I'll never forget the first time that he saw me when he came out and he looked at me and he was like, I've never seen him look more worried. And we're, my dad and I are very close. And he was like, I've, I've never seen a more worried look in his eye. Like looking, I mean, I had like bags under my eyes. I looked like pale and feeble and just was so out of it. And he's like, I, I don't know what to do. He's like, I mean, for the first time, he's like, I'm taking you to the hospital like right now. And he, he just saw and could feel like something's really, really wrong. And so that's kind of where, you know, 
the journey began. I went to a, a, a top rated allergist in Los Angeles and he was just, honestly, that's where I think this is where I really started understanding, you know, my first experiences with, with gaslighting because he was trying all these things. He was giving me steroid shots that were also just making me feel worse and giving me other, you know, agitations. And like, I'm a pretty health conscious person, person. So I don't really like putting those things in my body in general, but he eventually just started being like, you know, I think something just set you off and something in, in your brain has just been set off. And I was like, what? Like, you're saying that one day I just woke up and something just set off in my brain and this is all not real. And he, he just started kind of almost blaming, he gave me like a number to like a psychiatrist, a psychologist. And I mean, that's, that's a pretty traumatizing thing to, you know, be expressing vulnerably the worst pain and the most worry you're having in your life and someone that you're giving your trust and hopes and faiths to, to try and help you that they blame you and also blame your mental state and that it's not real. And it's um, to not get that validation and also get the blame put back on you and make you question your reality is just, it's, it's very painful. So I, from then on, I mean, I'd been to start seeing so many doctors. I was calling my friend from, from home, a good friend of mine who had experience with seizures. And I was like, listen, I'm going in and out of these episodes where I almost like there were times where I couldn't even recognize my dad at some point, or I'd have trouble speaking and I would be shaking and just in so much pain and be, I, I thought my my something was wrong with my brain at, at one point and I called her and she, I, we were talking about her experience with seizures and she's like maybe I know there's like other types of seizures but she's like I didn't have any of these other symptoms that you had and I don't I honestly don't know if this is a seizure and I still went to a neuro, uh, neurologist and not not much help there. Nothing really came from that. I saw him about three or four times, but he was nice, but he just didn't. I, I still was pressing like, listen, I got this dye and 30 seconds later, everything changed. So I feel like it's something to do with this dye and no help. And so that's when I was like, I am in so much pain. I'm going through this, these episodes that are getting so severe that I was having like voices inside that were like, you're, you're going to die. Like there's, there's moments where the pain was so severe. I would be, if I was alone at home or something and I would, I would go through one of them, I would have to get on the floor because I was like, thought I was going to pass out any second and my body was going to shut off. And I had moments where the burning would get so bad that it would it would feel like, you know, like what an Indian rug burn is when someone grabs your arm and goes like this, that pain, but on, imagine someone doing it to your brain and then all like head to toe, to toe body. I mean, I remember calling my mom just bawling, crying in pain. And I've never like 
I was telling like people like I've never really like cried out in pain before that physical pain, you know, I've broken bones. I've, you know, had physical like accidents, but I've never felt anything like this before. And, um, I was completely healthy beforehand and I was like something, something's wrong. And I, there's no way that it wasn't whatever they gave me because just the coincidence and the connection is just too obvious. It's, you don't, I don't think you need to be, you know, a doctor to like put two and two together. It's like giving someone a peanut and that's allergic to peanuts. And then they immediately have a, like an allergic reaction, their face swells up. It's like, those are connected, you know? So I kind of decided, I was like, I have to, I have to find, find someone. I mean, I was desperate at this point and my days were just bedridden nightmares where I was just in bed in so, in agony, in torture, complete mental and physical torture. And so I started doing research and then I found out that it contains this heavy metal called gadolinium, which is a toxic heavy metal. And that a lot of people have been experiencing retention, if not everyone, inside the body, and it can lodge inside your brain, your skin, your tissues, your organs, all of that. And it made complete sense because I was having cognitive issues, I was having skin issues and pain, and just overall like body pain. And I mean, it was also setting off a fight or flight of like panic and all these all these different symptoms from like mental to physical and um it just clicked I was like I I think I was right like it was this it was this guy and I started researching you know a ton about this and got into um I found like the lighthouse project was the first website that I found that was really helpful and kind of validating like hey a lot of other people are having these crazy symptoms as well from this and I was a bit devastated because I was reading a lot of stories about people that had been sick for 10 years with this and so I and that there's no antidote or cure found and not a lot of people are finding places to get treated for it or getting getting the help that they need and I just was crushed because I was like you know I'm I'm 28 years old and I had a full life as I'm sure everyone does that goes through this but I was I felt like my world had just been wrecked and I had no idea if I was ever going to get it back or if I was ever even gonna feel okay again where it's not even about getting things that don't matter back but even just getting through the day without feeling like oh my god I'm gonna die and there's no one to call like there's no one to help and there's nothing I can do and I don't know if this will ever end that was a really, really tough, um, tough thing to stomach. But um, and when when did you c- connect those dots and f- realize that it, and have confirmed that it was gadolinium that was doing that? When was that? I would say maybe six weeks later. I would say roughly. Um, I mean, to, I I'm kind of in a sense, if you could call it, lucky that. I had an immediate reaction to the dye because it was just so blatantly obvious that within that, that short time frame after I received it, that all these things were happening. And whereas some other patients can 
they don't connect the dots right away and they their symptoms start building maybe like a month out so they never are like oh it's probably that mri that i got a month ago and so they kind of go down a different path that i've heard stories from other other patients that i've actually met that went down this path where they'll just get misdiagnosed with things like ms or lupus or fibromyalgia and their doctors will prescribe them more MRIs and more dye. So they will get sicker and sicker and sicker. And so they keep getting more and more and more of it. And it's like, it's like a straight up nightmare because then these people are getting more and more of this toxic poison that's accumulating in their body. And they just, it, it just wreaks havoc and can, can destroy people. And for me, I, I luckily made that pretty, I made that, that uh, connection pretty quickly because of how quickly I reacted to it. So after kind of doing my due diligence with doctors and hospitals and all these things, I was just, it was the first time that I kind of was like, this is insane. I mean, I have to, I have to take this into my own hands. I can't, I, I have to find something. And clearly I'll be like, there's nothing else that I can do. So um, I found a really great Facebook group support group for people who are suffering from gadolinium poisoning and um, got a lot of ideas there, was talking to people, researching every single day all about this and the possibilities and what I should prepare myself for. And I think the hardest thing was like kind of knowing not who to trust from the community, but who to trust on what what path to take with healing because there's no clear cut path and there are some things that i was reading can make you worse can make you feel sicker can do this and it's or this is dangerous this is not dangerous and i was like having so much stress on like how do i what is the best route for me to heal when there's no you're a little bit nervous around doctors and and all their different viewpoints and it's hard to make those decisions when you're very vulnerable and in a lot of pain so but i found some really great people through the facebook group who helped me kind of come to you know come to make up a decision on how to how to start to heal from this and get this this horrible stuff out of my body the best that i can yeah that journey started kind of beginning like three months out and, and so i found where does that sorry, put us uh, chronologically in 2018 20 yeah, this would be 20, no, this would be 2019. So 2018 was when I had my hip surgeries. And then the first week of January, 2019, uh, January 7th, very burned into my brain. <laughs> um, it was the day that I, I, I got sick and everything changed. I mean, within weeks, I quit my job. I left LA and I literally just had to drop everything. And I moved back home to Philadelphia. Caregiving. Full, full time. I mean, I couldn't do anything. I mean, my biggest wish was like, for me, I think it was in the beginning, it was just getting through. My dream was like to get through half a day feeling normal, feeling or just feeling like not severe, severe pain and severe symptoms, which is crazy to be like, I just need a couple hours a day to feel okay. So it was, it was just, it was a, it was definitely a journey. So you're back in LA now? 
I'm back in LA now, um, about a year and a half after everything, which has been great. I mean, I've made so many strides with, with healing and during those like first couple months, I finally made the decision to do chelation, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically a, uh, it's a chemical that they use to help pull metal from your tissues and everything into the body and it comes out through the kidneys. So I, um, I just traveled to North Carolina every couple of weeks for months and months uh, to get two days of chelation. And when that would happen as well, uh, it basically could strip your body of a lot of things. And then as it's also pulling you know, bits of the, of the metal out, you're experiencing some pretty intense flares. So it, it was a lot of like, I get a treatment, feel really, really sick. It starts to calm down a little bit and it's like time for kind of another one. So it was a lot of kind of eating through those battles through, I say, I would say like June through December, I think was my last one of 2019 was my eighth one that I did. But it was, it was tough because there was a lot of, there's some people who, you know, are like, there's a lot of unknowns with this specific chemical DTPA, you know, the long term is unknown of the use of it. And it's said to be the most effective thing on the market right now to, that has the highest affinity for gadolinium to pull out of your system. So it doesn't drop it on the way out. It's like the strongest thing to pull as much out as possible. Um, so I was going under a lot of that um, for many months and it's definitely made a huge difference where now I'm at a point that I'm still struggling and I still, my body's still very sensitive and having some days where I'll have flares that can knock me you know, off my feet, but it's not every day and all day anymore, which is a really priceless feeling and something that I've been dreaming about for like a year. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a big journey and I know a lot of other people are, have either just started their journey or they're have been on it for like 10 years. And it's, it's really the hard part about it is that it really depends on a, how much you've gotten, you know, what, how you're treating your body during all this. And it's really different for everyone, how they react to chelation. And so it's, it's hard to um, make these decisions for healing, but I think for the most part, there are ways to heal from this, but it's just, it's tough. And some people have had so much like 30 injections that it's, it's really devastating to hear their intense, kind of experiences with this and their longer kind of poly battle with it, I would say. So with the chelation, which like you say, is not guaranteed to work for everybody. It's not gonna right. be a cure. It can improve your quality of life, hopefully, like it did for right. you. Uh, right. And did you have to pay out of pocket for those or was that covered by some sort of insurance? I did. So this, all of, all of these types of treatments are not covered by insurance um, and it's all out of pocket. So it can get very pricey. And that's another problem is that a lot of people can't get if, even if they want to do collation, if they can't afford it or they don't have a family, you know, to help them through it, then they're, 
they're kind of stuck with trying to find more natural means, which it's really difficult and sad. So, um, I mean, it's, it's a lot, it's expensive and, uh, not everyone can afford it. So it's, it really puts people in a very vulnerable position in a scary position. If you're too sick to work to try to save up the money for right. the treatment, it's a circle of hell. So that right. radiologist who initially was like, no, you had right. a reaction before. Evidently, at least she in that profession was aware that some folks can have allergic reactions to it. Right. And it's crazy that, you know, there's still so much pushback that that it's not a thing. I mean, it's being, it's really being tried to be pushed down as safe and then it leaves your body in 24 hours. And I mean, that was another thing is that I got, I did a 24 hour urine test uh, that showed high levels of gadolinium in my system months later. So that saying that it's safe and leaves your body is incorrect. And a lot of people have have numbers that are like they run off the chart like they, it it goes off the paper how much they've retained into like a scary amount that's like not safe and i mean there right there is a there was a black box warning that was put um on the product that was saying that you know you may retain this but they don't they're still not admitting that it is dangerous to your health and that it can cause all these things so it's just like a warning, but I mean, there's no, it's crazy that I went through all that with those doctors into that moment and not one of them ever, ever informed me about any issues or being like, oh, it does contain this heavy metal. Maybe we should like look into that. Maybe there's a problem that you have with that. And I felt so not informed about what was being put in my body although I expressed concern and had a prior issue with it and had a radiologist who denied me like very harshly the first time around and still no, no information came from the doctors being like, it does contain this and we should look into it before we even consider. So it felt very reckless and um, it, it was really hard to deal with that mentally because it could have so been avoided because the doctor, what, the radiologist knew that there was something wrong with it. I guess that really speaks to the power of the uh, pharmaceutical industry or the, the makers right. the of the gadolinium for this purpose and how their narrative totally immerses doctors and they've totally drank that Kool-Aid Right. And uh, are just seem to be oblivious to even the idea that some folks may be reacting to it. Right. And uh, it's, I kind of learned a lot about those things as well. And, you know, it became very disheartening to find out how these, because I, I was mind blown. I was like, how is this happening? How is this happening to people? And, these people aren't being protected. If anything, they're just getting shoved to the side and are left with no hope and no help. And some people, like you said, it's like a circle of hell where they go in to try to find out what's wrong with them for another problem. 
and then they get this, which is just, it is life consuming, life ruining for some people. I mean, some people actually die from this. And if you have any kidney issues, you can develop a deadly condition called NSF, which your skin basically, if you look up pictures of it, it's, it's pretty terrifying. And it's like your skin turns to, um, like your skin and organs can get very hard and almost look like wood. Yeah, it's, it can be fatal. So um, there's a lot of issues that also come out of just feeling sick. And those things can be also developed, like those, that condition can also be developed later if you have a kidney issue and still have this in your body. So that's also another risk that, that people don't realize is, even if they're not feeling fine, could develop at some point. It occurs to me that there's sort of like three levels of trauma you experience. First, there's the, the trauma from the gadolinium, that physical trauma. Right. And then there's the trauma of the doctors denying that that could be it or that your symptoms are even real. That's sort of betrayal. That's another trauma. And then there's the trauma of realizing that the whole system right is against you in this completely completely and i think it was it was i explain it almost as a form of heartbreak because it's um you're in such a vulnerable place and to feel like you trust these people with your with something as personal and important with your health and to get put in a potentially fatal position is recklessly is very scary and once you realize all the money that's behind this product and like just all the power behind it and the lack of care for when these people come forward is it's very it was very eye-opening and I mean I've met so many patients at the chelation clinic some have been sick for you know like 10 years and you can just see how much pain they've been through and like it's stolen their life and there's no there's there's no one to to help or fight back and it's it's just very sad yeah I mean I went back to my the person who prescribed me the MRI the first doctor and I had I was with my dad and I was having an episode in her office where I was having hives and I was you know shaking and she completely ignored me like completely was like I don't want to talk about that like was turning blind eye completely and I was like listen like they gave me this and I told you I had a problem with it and now this keeps happening every like two hours and I'm going in and out of these crazy episodes of pain and it was like she she wanted nothing to do with me basically yeah, I think that's something the general public, unless they've had experience with complex chronic illnesses, they don't realize that when push comes to shove, the doctor is right. not in your corner. No, not at all. In the corner of the whole medical establishment. Right. And it's things change very quickly, you know, from when you first come in as a new patient to when something like that happens, then it's like it you you feel a shift that is it's straight it feels like betrayal and it's, it's definitely traumatizing, I would say. And it's a bit of a toxic cycle because 
for people that couldn't connect the dots and they're trying to, or did connect the dots and they're being sent away and going to all these other doctors, just like treading water. They're like, nothing's happening. They're just moving around. They're getting written prescriptions. They're not given any attention. They're getting prescribed more MRIs, getting more sick. It's a very toxic cycle. And for also people who don't have families backing them, whether it's just being supportive. Like I've, I've spoken to patients that their families don't believe them. And that's something that I didn't have to experience, but I, I can only imagine that level of um, also a feeling of betrayal and feeling very alone. It's very isolating and, um, and hard to deal with mentally. So um, I mean, finding the community on Facebook is a, is a, was a very big thing for me because it got me through a lot of, you know, people who you can relate to in this horrible experience that are like, this is real. And I had the same exact thing happen to me. And this is what I'm doing. I recommend, you know, trying this or that. And you feel like you're, you're making some sort of motion to get better when there's other, you know, the people you trusted the most aren't there for you. Yeah, I would imagine because there's so much suffering and the quality of life can be so low, especially if you haven't found any treatments that work for you. Um, and for those other factors you mentioned, like your family not believing you and actually right. blaming right. you, um, that there must be a high rate of suicide. Yeah, I mean, you actually just read my mind because I've heard that mentioned as well, because if you don't know when this is going to end and the high level of pain mentally and physically that you're going through and you're basically not being believed by doctors or your family or there's no one even if you do know what you have in some countries like they don't even treat for that and if the person can't travel to go get treatment and they're like i'm never going to get better then they start considering things like suicide and it's to hear that is it's very jarring and very it's just horrific. And I went through just a lot talking to people and realizing just how heavy this situation is. And I know I'm sure for people in other chronic illnesses or medical errors go through the same, the same toxic cycles. I mean, that's where I kind of turned, you know, to functional medicine and different types of doctors that have a different perspective where they're not going to come in for 10 minutes listen to a symptom, try to cover up a symptom with a pill and then like send you on your way. Like they're going to, you know, look at you head to toe and be like, how can I heal you from the inside? Like what is causing this? And this is what we need to, you know, address. And that's, that changed my whole, you know, aspect into healing and realizing like there is a way to heal. And it's not, for me, it wasn't, it, it hasn't been through mainstream medicine. And I've just, there was no, I would, I would have never healed through that industry in a sense. Like I would have just been probably still better and still sick and who knows where I would be at mentally, you know? I mean, it's, it's really hard to fight off, you know, things like depression and anxiety on a daily basis when your whole life is just, gone in an instant and you don't know when you're gonna ever get it back if ever so um it's a big cycle it's sort of needlessly like there were a couple of warning signs that those professionals should have taken heed of and one of them tried to right right and that's that was 
a crazy thing to me too that was like how did this happen like how did if you know how are you just gonna like take a wild guess on someone you know I mean I the easiest way to describe it is saying someone like because they're like oh we'll, we'll only do one so like we'll see how that goes it's like so if someone comes in it's like I had like this crazy reaction to eating peanuts like they're gonna be like Mm, well how about instead of five peanuts we just give you one and then they eat the peanut and it's still the same it's if anything can get worse you know with this when you start accumulating more and more of the dye it just gets worse and worse and more life-threatening so I mean it's it's just crazy that you know you put so much faith in in people who you think they know what they're doing and they pull out a reckless option and push it on you and you it's hard to sometimes stand up for yourself because I know some people also have been having issues. Like now that this is starting to come out that they are denying the dye being like, I'll do the MRI, but I don't, I don't want the dye. And then something is starting to happen where they're like, well, the insurance won't pay for the MRI unless you get the dye. So then they're cornered to get it. Even if, even if they don't, necessarily that's another thing about the dye is that they don't always need it to light up the the image i mean especially if it's not a life-threatening issue like a tumor i know some people can be kind of in a tough spot there if they're like they're searching for a tumor and they don't want to miss it and if they do it could obviously be life-threatening in that way so that's that's a tough situation but for me i was not in a life-threatening situation and I didn't need the dye like they it would have been maybe a little more difficult to see but they could have read the scan without it so it's just you know you start to wonder like why are you pushing this so hard people are having problems with it and it's not 100% necessary while there is pushback that it's a lifesaver it's also a life ruiner so it's there's a lot of sketchy things I think happening and um just some stuff I've been reading that are just, you start to put the pieces together of how things work. Yeah. And it usually comes down to money. Yes. So you unfortunately yeah. so follow the money. All of the money almost always. So if your pre-gadolinium injection, your health was a 10 and yeah. went way, way down when it was worse, but now you're back in LA. On a scale of one to ten, where would you say? And I know it fluctuates, you know, some hour yeah, to hour. Totally. I um I'd say I'd I'd be at like maybe six and a half to seven, I would say. Some days, you know, I'm I'm having a good day where I feel like an eight or a nine. And those days is are, you know, I'm on cloud nine. I'm doing my best to just kind of push through those days that aren't perfect. But I mean, just having a part of life and knowing that it is starting to improve and that, you know, maybe I'll be dealing with some of this for a long time, but I am on my own two feet. I mean, I, I was having trouble, you know, leaving Philadelphia to come back to LA and having confidence to live on my own again, which was, is very weird for someone like me. That's very independent, very adventurous is like not a scared person at all. It was, it was a tough decision. So to come back and kind of start to put, you know, the pieces back together was just really, uh, really rewarding. Yeah. And I still have been, you know, staying active in the, 
in the Facebook community group and staying up to date on all the developments that are happening, you know, whether it be legally or with studies that are, you know, starting to come out showing connections with um, what's being called gadolinium deposition disease is like something that's, it's been coined with, with the doctor that actually treated, that treated me in North Carolina. Yeah. So it's, it's been a journey, but I, you know, I'm starting to get back to some things and some days when I'm getting wiped out or I'm getting some flares, then I just kind of ride it out. But um, taking some, you know, measures to heal mentally and physically as well. So if folks wanted to find some of those support groups and information online, you mentioned the Lighthouse and a Facebook group. I'll put those yeah. in the show notes as well. Uh, but for yeah. people listening now, what are they? Called MRI Toxicity Illnesses. And then the website was called The Lighthouse Project, um, which is basically kind of like becoming a hub for information on, you know, everything from like things happening in the FDA with it, stories, studies, um, symptoms, treatments, you know, things like that. So there's, there's a lot of like support that you can find through those, through those avenues, which are really helpful. And if people wanted to check out your work, where would they find your work? Sure. Um, my work would be at www.caseysteidel.com. And then, um, all of my, those names. yeah, it's tough. Um, so it'd be C-A-S-E-Y-S-T-E-I-D-L-E. And my Instagram similar. I, I actually had a, uh, I made a post that um, I attached on Instagram that I attached some gadolinium uh, hashtags to that people have been finding me through to reach out and, you know, ask what they should do, whether they're pre getting an MRI, if they should do it, or they're just got sick from it and they're freaking out and they're nervous and scared and so I'm always, always happy to chat too with anyone who's going through this. So feel free to reach out anytime. Great. Thanks, Casey, for sharing your horror stories. Yeah. And for sharing the information that no doubt there'll be other people out there like, hey, well, maybe that's what's been going on with my body all of this time. So definitely great connections for some people. Definitely. Yeah, no, I'm happy to happy to share my story and um, help anyone who's, you know, going through this crazy, crazy experience. I know it's it's really tough. So Casey, uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, exercise because you're a big soccer player before. Are you able to get back into exercise? And if so, at what level? I think that's been a really therapeutic thing. And for me, it was, especially in the beginning of, I mean, when I was better than for months, it felt so unnatural to me because I'm a really active person. So it was really hard to, you know, be in that state. So I would start off obviously with things very small, like walking, you know, just going out for walks and getting outside and kind of letting nature penetrate the soul a little bit as well. But um, now I am starting to get back into hiking and surfing and skateboarding, which are, which are kind of like my three main favorite things to do in LA. It might not be as, you know, high energy as it was before, but I know it's just going to take time to build back to that. So I'm getting back into 
a lot of those things and, you know, stretching and yoga and um, just kind of trying to sweat because it, a lot, also a lot of gadolinium can come out via sweat. So keeping your body moving is, is also important and, and trying to break a sweat as much as I can in those ways. But yeah, been trying to exercise as much as possible. I know myself, I was a avid triathlete, passionate triathlete before I got sick. And it's one of the things I missed most is my like shoveling snow. Yeah. Oh yeah, completely. I mean, I, I was like, I would dream about these things when I would, I was sick and bad. I was like, if I could just even like, just paddle out on like a small day on my board and just, just for like 15 minutes, you know, it's, it's just, once that's ingrained in you, it's really hard to have that part of your identity missing because it's such a big part of like keeping you happy and healthy. So when you feel like you can't do it, it's, it's can be a blow to, um, blow to your soul a little bit in a sense. Yeah. Especially like you say, when it's part of your identity and daily habits, it's a huge, oh, yeah. taken away. Yeah. Well, I think when you, I mean, I'm sure you went through this with your illness is you kind of almost have an identity crisis as well as being like, if you can't do all these things that make you, you, then who are you now? You know, is this really who you like you're, you're lacking all these things that make you feel your complete you. So it, you start to kind of have to find ways to stay positive and, and keep yourself smiling and like spiritually aligned so you're until you can get back to those things that you're you're still staying strong in some ways as best you can but it was hard yeah i liken it to sort of uh reinventing ourselves we're always reinventing ourselves when we go from high school to college and college into our career it's sort of a reinvention absolutely own choice but when you have our experiences it's not of your choice so you're forced to reinvent yourself under more narrow, uh, a narrow, a narrow area. Oh, absolutely. And I think also when, you know, when you're really in the trenches of your illness and, and things are, I think at their worst, you know, things also become very clear to you about what's important and who you are. And for me, I mean, when I was going through like the deepest things, and I was having, I was having like real fears that like, I, I could, this really could be the end of my story. Like this could be either end, the end of my life if, if something ends up happening, which it feels like it could um, on the days where it was really bad. But you just, you think of, you know, all of the, the happiest things that make you you and they're so simple. And it's like things that you know, you don't worry enough about, or it's like you go through all these worries in your daily day and you're taking all the other stuff for granted that sometimes it's really important. And then when you're in those moments, everything becomes crystal clear being like, man, I just want to hug my family and I just want to feel, you know, good. I just want to go outside and go for a run or kick the soccer ball around. And it's like all these simple pleasures that you're like, wow, that's actually just like the gold in my life and all this other stuff. I don't like give a crap about, you know, like I don't need any of that. Like this is what I miss. And if I could just get that back, I would feel, you know, that's what makes me me and makes me happy. So. It really is a 
cheesy saying, but it is the simple yeah. things in life that we get pleasure from. Oh, absolutely. And I think in a weird way, a lot of, a lot, a lot of this experience just has stripped back so much for me mentally and has, while you said you're kind of rebuilding yourself, it, it makes you not only resilient to some of these things, you know, that you're going to start to face in life later on, but it makes things so much clearer for you and you feel you're almost like shedding an old layer of yourself and you're starting this new, this new chapter and you're in a weird way, so much stronger and so much you, if you do, I think of a lot of the right reflecting that it can, there's so many positives to pull from going through something so heavy like that, even though it's traumatic and you wouldn't wish it on anybody and wish it didn't happen. But I think that's another way to kind of get through those things. It's like, okay, how can I become better from this? Even though this is like, quote unquote, setting me back in so many ways and is really painful. So that was like a whole other journey that, you know, I kind of stepped into as well. It sounds like you've experienced post-traumatic growth. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's you good. It's for me, it felt inevitable because you've so much time, and I was like, this can either go two ways. I can either slip down a really dark path, a really slippery slope that feels so easy to slip into, and let this really like steal the my present and like my my reality fully or i can fight back on a daily basis and also learn and find ways to stay grateful and positive and how to still make meaning out of my life when all these things that make me feel me are ripped away for now or maybe a long time who knows but and i think that's that's something that helped me try to stay mentally strong and it wasn't eat nearly easy every day but I think it's it's something that you can always try to do when you're in these really painful moments in your life and once things start to ease and you start healing a bit you realize like wow this has actually developed me in ways I couldn't have ever imagined yeah I can tell you I've heard that many many times from yeah been through trauma yeah did you ever experience in some similar thoughts or things like that as well? Uh, yeah, but uh, my trauma I've realized is very small compared to the vast majority, well, at least of my clients that they've experienced. Yeah. It still rings true. It just rings bigger for, for their experiences. And a big thank you to Casey Steidel for sharing her experiences with an MRI with contrast. That's when they inject you with gadolinium. I, for one, will think twice before I go for another MRI with contrast. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com 
slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for your own encounters with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com.